This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. My name is Nick Glimsdahl, and I want to welcome you to the Press One for Nick podcast. I'm excited to introduce you to Ed Ariel. Ed is the former global head of service at EasyCater and the former head of customer experience at Drizzly and now co-founder of Troop. Ed, welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. Thanks for having me, Nick. I'm excited to talk about customer service. So the new venture is Troop, and maybe you can take a minute to talk about what Troop is and how people can find out more information. Sure. Myself and two people I've worked with in the past, we started up Troop. It's, a, it's, an, outsourced, it's an outsourced company, but it's differentiated in that we hire exclusively military spouses and veterans. And one of the co-founders, she is a veteran and she's also a military spouse. And as she's traveling around or being uh, relocated every couple of years, it's hard to retain a job and it's hard to get a job in some places because some employers don't want to hire you if they know that you're only going to be there for a year or two. So yeah. we found this un, this untapped um, resource of employees. They're very, they're overly dependable. They, you know, our model is they get to keep the job as they continue to relocate. So it's a hundred percent remote workers. And the longer you keep an employee, if you keep an employee for three years, four years, they become experienced senior as opposed to bringing in new people that you have to retrain. And then the other, differentiator is myself and the two founders we've we've worked in multiple call centers together managed multiple call centers we've won multiple awards so we do free consulting as part of this and bring our experience to help them improve their customer experience and help them optimize their business and it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun and people generally are very excited about hiring uh, military spouses and veterans and helping them out. That is so important. And I look forward to learning more as you're continuing to, to grow the organization. And I'd be happy to share it at any channel possible to, to get the word out because having high quality help and then having it being remote is important. But the thing that I heard at the very end was not only do you provide the service for the people and the employees, but the people that hire you you help them drive efficiencies or focus on customer experience, whatever that their needs are with your expertise of you and your partners, you go into organizations and continue to focus on customer service and customer experience. Exactly. The clients that we work the most, the, the best with are the ones that really are looking to use their customer service agents as like a channel for improvement. We're not just looking for people that just answer the phone get the answer the question, get the customer office as quick as they can. It's like, yeah. we train the employees to look for trends. Like, why are the customers calling in? Can we automate why they're calling in? Or can we fix whatever is causing them to call in? So they're getting that level of feedback from the agents. And then from yeah, the three of us, we're looking at the business at a higher level and saying, we're big advocates of chat, AI, those types of tools and saying, what does your customer really want? Does your customer want to talk to a live person or do they just want to get their question answered as quickly as possible? And some people yeah. are still very dependent on the phones, but we're willing to offer that advice and give the data behind it and how it makes the customers happier. Yeah, I actually heard you talk in Columbus and you spoke about customer service representatives and retention. Why do organizations, are they satisfied with very high customer retention? 
Yeah, this is something we run into quite a bit. So organizations, there's still a lot of organizations out there that look at customer service as uh, a commodity, right? Mm -hmm. It's not a specialized skill set. It's not a profession. They don't look at it as like, we're going to hire somebody that um, a customer's having a customer service person is just as important as having an engineer, um, a top engineer, because um, this is your voice to the customer. Again, you're getting that feedback. So some organizations still don't think that way. And especially a lot of the smaller organizations we're dealing with, some of them have world-class products, very well-known brands that we're dealing with, and they've never really focused on the customer service. And so what we say to them is we want to give you A-level service to support that. And it's not a commodity. Part of what we're doing is we are saying this, there are people out there that want to be customer service professionals and they want to do this for their career and they may want to advance. Sometimes they don't want to advance. Sometimes they're like, I just want to be, give the best service I can. Yeah. And there's a very big difference between the organizations that believe that philosophy and targets specific type of people and retrain and motivate them. And then again, the organizations that are like, 15 to 18% turnover is great. That's normal for customer service, right? With Troop, we have much, much lower turnover. But even at Drizzly and Easy Cater, we were way below the industry average. What is the industry average today? Pre-COVID lifetime, it fluctuates between 16 and 18% a month for turnover. Some organizations that I've talked with have 50% a month. Mm -hmm. Some organizations, 300% turnover a year. But if you hire the right people, keep them motivated, challenge them. You know, what we had at, at Easy Cater, and we're close to this at Troop 2, is 2 to 3% a month for your own employees. So just imagine, like, you're keeping your best workers, you're keeping them engaged. It's a better experience for your customers, again, because you're not bringing in new people. You're saving a lot of resources on training, hiring, all of those areas. And if you keep your best people, that's only, it builds on itself, so... I can't imagine the industry average being 2 to 5% or 2 to 3%. Some people would give their left arm to, to bring it down to that. So it sounds like a great value proposition to you when you're going into organizations to not only help them find the right outsourced um, organization like Troop with reliable people who are service members or their spouses, but you also could help them potentially getting their churn down to even their current employees down to the two, five, uh, as low as even sometimes 10%, that'd be pretty, pretty compelling. When we at Drizzly and EasyCater, when we were working with outsourcers, we were able to drive the turnover, employee turnover rate down with our outsource partners too. That was about 7% below wow. the industry average. Yeah. And it was by same thing, treating those, challenging those employees, getting them invested in the product and the customers, and also creating some career pathing in the mm -hmm. outsource channel, which is very unusual when I bring that up to people. They're thinking about, I bring in an outsourcer to handle my extra volume or yeah. to, to help me build the organization and then I'll figure out later. But if you're like, this could be an actual channel for you and you do 7% turnover, you're paying for yourself. You're not spending time training, recruiting, all that. So it becomes like a revenue center for you. When people think of employee experience or finding ways to benefit or excite or keep their employees or their customer service representatives. My guess is you don't just throw a beer fridge in the corner, have jeans on Friday and unlimited vacation to improve retention. What are maybe a few steps that outside of the ones you just mentioned to improve the retention down to the levels that you, you are, are seeing? So the first step is, you know, making sure you're hiring the right employee. We do spend a lot of time at Troop and in previous positions. There's a, 
kind of an extensive, more extensive than a normal screening process. And it's not, we're not really looking for customer service skills necessarily. We're looking for people that have passion about something. You know, we'll find somebody that says, I use the example of like ultimate Frisbee. Like they're like, oh, I played ultimate Frisbee in college and I won a championship and I play in an adult league. And we're like, let's talk about that and see how they feel when they get passionate about something. And, And so you hire the right people and then we set the expectations from day one of what we want and we build like a culture and people questioned like building the culture when everybody's working remotely. But if you're setting the expectations and culture is important to you and setting the goals, then people will um, understand what they're getting into. So we will, we say from day one, three main things, you know, we have a much bigger culture formula, but we say you have to, don't be a jerk. You have to be able to get along with your coworkers. No one wants to work with somebody that's difficult to work with, make the customer's life easier and be a problem solver. And if you do those three things, these are the things that are going to, this is what we expect from you to help us grow the company for you to be uh, compensated. We do things exactly like you said, like we do, you know, every day is casual and people are at home. But for the ones of us that go into the office, we do have a beer fridge. We do have uh, shorts, things like that. But you're setting the expectations. And then we also, from the very beginning when they work with us, we talk about compensation. We say, we, our philosophy is that everybody starts at the same pay. If you hit these goals, we are going to give you a, a bigger than average raise, right? I'll just use generic numbers, but suppose we budgeted a 5% raise every year for every employee. But we'll say, if you're our top employees, we'll give you 10%. And mm. if you're the second level employee, we'll give you 7%. If you're hitting the average, you might get 3%. And, and if you're just chugging along and you're not helping us improve the business and things like that, maybe you get no raise because we want to make sure we're retaining those best employees. But we tell them that right from the get go. So really their first week, this is what we're talking about and people appreciate it. And they usually, most, all of them are like, we've never had these types of conversations from the get go and it gets them involved. And not to go too much into the process, give us ideas to improve the business, but Mm -hmm will actually say it's going to be hard for you to get ahead if you're not helping us improve the business. And improving the business can be giving suggestions to the customers on how to make their business better, or it can be what could we do better as troop to treat our employees better or get more business. Or it could be even, hey, I used to do this at another company and it was a big morale booster. Let's give it a shot. And we look at all those things. There's like be a problem solver or help us improve everything for the customers and for us. And again, if you're hiring the right type of people, this is what motivates them. They like, I'm not just being told I need to take 60 calls a day or answer hundred chats. I, they want my opinion and, and it's worked very well for us. You had mentioned metrics aligned with bonuses. Can you talk a little bit about at a high level, what metrics you are aligning those bonuses with? Yes. So the top two metrics that we use, and again, when we're working with companies, some companies are very quantitative and we will adapt to their system, but we try to do like for quality. So the main things we look at is there is a productivity measurement, but the main thing we're looking at is like the quality. And what we do to judge quality is we look at like a holistic of you. We strongly encourage people to go to get away from like the checklist. Did you say the customer's name twice? Did you mention the company name? Did you ask if there's anything else I can help you with at the end? Because we've seen multiple examples where you can go through that checklist and the customer is not satisfied, but you checked everything. So yes. what we do is we look at, did you resolve the customer's issue? Did you do everything you could? Did you, were you prepared to answer the next question based on your first answer? So like it's holistic and that's most of the quality. And that's the number one thing we're basing on. I would probably say 
in most companies, it's we do 60% quality, 30% quantity, and 10% is, and this varies a lot company to company, is like the attendance, right? Some companies, some companies are progressive, take as much time off as you want, work when you want. There's a lot of part-timers. Other companies, you get three days off. But what we recommend is we can staff. We're very flexible on our staffing. But if you call us up that day and say you can't make it, we ding you for that. But it's only 10%. Uh, We just need more notice. So it's really like the quantity because that's what we're focusing on. We're focusing on pleasing the customer, improving the experience. We have the same philosophy that we've talked about in the past. It's like the customers generally do not want to talk with anybody. They just want their problem solved and to be done. So if the rep has done that in one call or did their follow-up, then they're going to get their best. And again, if you're at the top of the quality, we want to keep you. And and we don't look at things like traditional metrics. So the productivity does have some volume in it. We, we recommend like doing like a minimum standard that um, somebody can hit over a week. So maybe it's calls per hour, but look at that over a week. But we don't mm-hmm. want ever to rush a customer off the phone. We don't want to... So we stopped using average handle time years ago. I think a lot of places have now. So when you, and you'll get into, oh, I want to reduce my cost of service uh, per transaction. The way to do that is to rush a customer off the phone. The way to do that is to figure out why they're calling and most likely automate that process if you can or yeah. create a database for the customers. So that's a long-winded answer of saying, like, we don't use traditional metrics and we really focus on that holistic quality approach. I think that's great advice. Unfortunately, some organizations will have metrics for years instead of saying somebody new comes in and says, hey, why do we have this metric? And continue to ask that question, why and why is it important? How is it managed? How is it measured? How is this aligned with business outcomes or how is this focused on the customer? Instead, they say, this is the way we've always done it. I'm always picturing every, anybody that still has average handle time and they got to get off the phone by seven and a half minutes at the seven minute mark, the shot clock starts going off on their, it's lit red and starts shooting down and they, they got to talk fast and get them off the phone as quick as possible. So that's right. Uh, it's, I've it's worked good. in places where that exact thing happens. Like as soon as you hit five minutes, like workforce starts pinging you six minutes, yeah. somebody's standing next to your desk and uh, yeah it's old school but it's and it's a lot of in my opinion it's a lot of the bigger companies that still think that way but i get excited the bigger the company you are when you try to like break that mold for them and you'll see as they slowly get it right but the smaller company is more open to those kind of ideas when i did hear you talk uh, on that panel you had mentioned that you had in and i think it might have been at easy cater you had a buddy system can you talk about that Yeah. So you touched on this just a second ago, actually, when you said like somebody new comes to the organization and uh, they question something like, why have you done this? Mm -hmm. So we paired the buddy system with this. It's becoming more popular, this idea of psychological safety, but EasyCater has been, was doing that for years. So the goal is that this person has a resource that they can go to whenever they have a question, right? So they get out of training, they're paired with a buddy, and we pair that with this psychological safety where we're giving them, like I said, that message from the beginning about salary and expectations and goals, but we're also reinforcing that in different environments with different people during their whole training. And the goal of that, of the buddy system and the psychological safety, is that they will then uh, be giving us our opinion, their opinions and their feedback when they have these fresh eyes. So Mm. they'll be comfortable enough because... Well, the last thing you want to do is it takes them three to six months before they're comfortable. Now they're established in your patterns and your procedures, right? You want them to be questioning 
everything. And we used to have, well, we still do this when we train, we actually build into the training, like a couple of things that we know are inefficient. So for example, if we're using a CRM system and we'll say, go to this menu, ignore that second one. That's an old procedure that doesn't exist anymore. And that's a test for them. Like we want them to say, why yeah. is it still there? And so that's what we'll, we're like drilling this in their head. And we'll be like, that's where we want you to question this. That was a test. Speak up. And it makes people like pay more attention and be like, they really want my opinion. We hired a company in uh, the Dominican once and we told them the same thing. We treated them exactly the same as our own employees. They were an outsourcer, And it took them probably like 90 days before they were like, okay, you guys really mean it. You really want my opinion because they had been through so many call centers that were like, we have an open door policy. We want to want your feedback. And then when you get feedback, it's like, just do your 60 calls a day. And again, it makes the employees more invested. It, it makes them know that um, you're, you care about their opinion. You care about them mm-hmm. from the beginning. And it gives them the ability to not go to their boss, but go to a peer and say, hey, I don't get this. This doesn't make sense. I have a question. Right. Uh, where they might not feel comfortable to go to somebody like yourself because you're leading the call call center because they don't want to feel stupid. Yeah. Um, Especially if they've asked the question before, because that's one of the number one things that call centers ding people for. So you can ask any question once, but if you ask it twice, what's wrong with this person? So you give them another resource where they can be like, I think I know what it is. And hopefully they learn after that. You mentioned at the very beginning a little bit about the difference between keeping an employee and losing them and try to find them and and retrain them. But why is it important to accurately monetize the the retaining the people of your organization? Because obviously when it comes to customer service, they are the voice of the company. Exactly. So they're the ones that are talking with your customers, the more knowledgeable they are. First of all, that relationship with the customer. So mm-hmm. again, if a customer doesn't, most customers don't want to call in or, or chat. They'd like to have a solution they can figure out themselves or have the product be intuitive enough from the get-go. But if they need to call in, they want to be able to know that this person's like empathizing with them and understands the product. They, the last thing they want is, oh, hold on, let me ask them. We think we should be paying above average. How do you justify that? You justify that by saying, if our turnover is, if instead of 15%, it's 5%, how much money are we saving on trainers? How much time on training time on the recruiting costs? So at Troop and Drizzly and Easy Cater, that was one of the things we tracked. We were like, how much time does it take to train somebody? The initial training, the nesting, how much time does it take to recruit them? And then what is the cost of the people doing that? And then you can quickly realize that um, by reducing your turnover from 15 to five, you can pay a little more. And so you're still spending less than if you were paying uh, $2 under what the industry average is and just churning the people. And that's the monetization part. That's the part finance wants to hear about. But when you're dealing with the operations part, you also have to tie in, depending on what the, your business is, but generally your customers and then your vendors. If you increase customer satisfaction in addition to that, then you can uh, if it's So if it's like uh, a product that's being used over and over again, it's a repeat order to a customer. They continue to order above the average. Is that attributed to that customer service? Of course, we say it is. Or if they order once a month and they uh, continue to order, they order a little more. It's the same thing with your vendors. If your vendors are willing to 
offer more products to your customers or if your vendors have a, like, it's just like overall, it's, there's the monetization, but then there's also what is the, the value of the customer service and the vendor service in the whole product. And when you look at the whole thing, of course, you know, you can easily track almost all businesses have a top 10 list of their top customers or whales or whatever yeah. you want to call them. And if you um, retain your top hundred or top thousand, that's how you make your money. You try to take a number like you have your more senior reps on them. You're, you're not, you know, you're not turning over. It's more valuable. There's a value there. You can debate what it is. The finance team will probably underestimate it, and people like myself would be like, "That's the most important thing." I think it's a great way to look at it from a holistic perspective instead of just saying leadership C-suite saying, "Hey, you need to hire them at the same amount as everybody else," because that's what the, the industry standard is and you're arguing it and reverse engineering it to come out in your favor. But at the end, it's coming out in the organization's favor. So exactly. Yeah. It's a great way to look at it. So I, I wrap up every podcast with two questions. Uh, so the first question is what book or person has influenced you the most in the past year? And then the second question is if you could leave a note to all the customer service professionals and, and everybody would hear it, what would it say? Okay. I actually just, I just finished up a book. When I was at Easy Cater, we created a group that lived in operations and it was called the Test Kitchen. And it really worked on across department projects that were, everybody thought there was a project there, but who owns it? It's like a three month project. And so we created this experimental group and sometimes it proved that we should be doing things differently. Sometimes it proved we were right to ignore things. So I've often been thinking about like, how could you expand this idea of experimenting inside a customer service organization? And so I I read a book, it's got a long title, but it's called Experimentation Works. And it's by, I hope I say his name, Stefan Tomke, Tomka. And it's really, it's pretty detailed book, but it talks about like how to do this experimentation. And he, he talks about how to do it in all kinds of different groups. But the operations part is like, how do you get everybody to think about what is a way to test something, right? And you don't want your customer service reps that's been there for six months to be doing like control groups and these theories and hypotheses, but if they get people to think about why do we do things and mm -hmm. is there a better way to do it and how could we test this? But anyway, it's a great book. Like I said, it's very cool. detailed, but it's not a tough read and we try to you know, summarize it and, and present it to all the troop employees. And the other question was, uh, yep. oh yeah, what I would say to the customer service professionals out there, I can tell you like, so we have a lot of these conversations with troop. We talk with a lot of companies and we have to be careful of their philosophy because some people still do have this. It's a commodity, but the message we give over and over again is like, there are customer service professionals out there that mm -hmm. they like when you say you don't need to, if you love what you're doing, you don't work a day in your life. Yep. There are people that that's what they love doing. They love helping customers solve their problems. They love unique situations. They don't want repeat tasks. They want to be able to help solve it. Don't think about customer service as this commodity. Think about it as they're a professional that would have a vested interest in your business and make your customers happy and ultimately make you more money. Great book and great insight on what you should leave the customer service professionals. Ed, what's the best way people to connect with you? Is it on LinkedIn or uh, maybe the, the Troop website? LinkedIn is the best. So Ed Ariel, um, A-R-I-E-L. Not a lot of people have that last name. I'm pretty easy to find. If you people want to go to Troop, it's actually a Troop Command with a hyphen between Troop and Command. TroopCommand.com gives you an overview of our company, our philosophy, background on the founders, some of the military information's in there. If you want to send me a text or a call, I can give my cell number. I'm pretty open. People are surprised when I answer my phone, but I actually do. But they can send me a text at 508-654-2818. 
and um, or could, all my information's on LinkedIn too, my cell number, my email. So I'm a very available. And I love, obviously, if people have questions or are interested in Troop, love to have those conversations. But I also, like when I was in Columbus, when we met before, I went to a couple of companies and just sat down and talked about their customer experience philosophy and different ways of doing things. So I love to have those types of conversations. That is great information. Ed, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I learned a bunch of information. I'm sure people will probably listen to this podcast more than once. Right. Look, looking forward to uh, learning about Troop. So sure. if anybody's interested, please go to Troop Command with the dash in the middle and help this guy out. Thanks, All right. Scott. All right. Thank you, Nick. Hey, listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing this episode with them. And last, if you would like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, you can go to press1fornick.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press One for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.